I know no introduction is required for Alexander McCall-Smith, but I'd still like to take a moment just to remind ourselves of some of his achievements. Sandy was born and raised in Bulawayo, in what is now Zimbabwe, but was then known as Rhodesia. He went to the University um, in Edinburgh, where he gained a doctorate in medical law. During the 70s, he taught at Queen's University in Belfast before returning to Edinburgh to practice law. During the 1980s, he began to write, starting with children's books. Within a decade, he'd produced some 10 of these, but then a new project began to assert itself, the writing of a series of books for adults. These first ones became the von Igelfeld books. Those of you who have read those will remember them fondly, the travails of Dr. Dr. Moritz Maria von Igelfeld. I hope I'm pronouncing him correctly. Yes. Not long after that, he wrote the first book about precious remotes where the number one ladies detective agency, indeed, this visit to Australia marks the 25th anniversary of that event. Now, his book account is close to 100, with over 40 million sold worldwide. He's penned several series, the 44 Scotland Street novels, the longest-running serial novel in the world, as well as the Corduroy Mansions and Elizabeth Dalhousie novels, more children's books and several standalone novels. His books have been translated into 46 languages and he's received numerous awards for his writing. He holds 13 honorary doctorates from universities in Europe and North America and has a CBE for services to literature as well as being honoured by the President of Botswana for services to the country through literature. And one more small fact, Sandy is a bassoonist and a co-founder of the very famous ensemble, The Really Terrible Orchestra. He's, he's, Thank you. He's, he's, he's well known for being prolific. He's had five books published in the last year and we'll be touching on several of those tonight. But interestingly, it seems that the more he writes, the more affection and esteem Sandy attracts. Please welcome him to Milani. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you for your very generous words there. Uh, Stephen, um, when you said that I played the bassoon, I only played part of it. Uh, I don't play the very high notes. Uh, they're very difficult. And uh, the really terrible orchestra does exist. Uh, people think that there can't be an orchestra called the really terrible orchestra. Well, there is. And uh, we are. Uh, uh, where uh, it, you, 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 you hear what, you, what it says on the tin. <laughs> uh, we, are, we are the world's worst orchestra. And um, people really in, enjoy listening to us for some uh, very curious reason, because I think we always like to know that there's somebody there who's doing something worse than we would do it ourselves if we were ever. And so we've been very well received. We went on tour to the United States, uh, just one place in the United States. Uh, we haven't been invited back, but we did go. Uh, we went to... Uh, New York, we played in New York, um, and we got a standing ovation there, which was quite extraordinary. Uh, we went to the Netherlands and we played in Stockholm, uh, and we are really very, very bad. Often we don't finish at the same time. Uh, people finish, you know, people take their time. And indeed we had, we had one occasion in which the conductor stopped us, and the conductor often has to stop the orchestra. And the conductor stopped us and said, there's something going on here. And uh, there was indeed something going on, which was that part of the orchestra was playing a totally different piece of music. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So uh, you need to form one in Millenni, because uh, I'm sure there are a lot of musically challenged people here. Um, and uh, these are people who might have learned the clarinet when they were at school, and or learned a bit of the clarinet, a few notes. Uh, and uh, you'd, you'd get, get together and, and have... This would be a very good place to play. Uh, and uh, get a, a, a conductor. Well, it would kind of add the gymnasium sound to things. Yes. It, it would, yes. Yes, you could do that. It would increase the range of the experience. And um, you need to get a professional conductor. Uh, you've got to have a... Con the conductor's got to know what he or she is doing. Uh, but you don't really need to pay them uh, because you can get one who's doing court-ordered uh, community... <laughs> You know, next time, speak to the local prosecution authorities, and uh, next time the conductor's being prosecuted for the yeah, usual thing, get, uh, uh, they, can, they can do this as community service. So it's a, that's a serious suggestion. It would do... It, and you could actually have them as the warm-up act for your occasions, Stephen. <laughs> yes. So people would have the, the, uh, the really terrible orchestra play of Mulaney playing, and then you have your conversation... And then James could provide some therapy for <laughs> everybody at the end of uh, yes. at the end of it. It's a constructive suggestion. You also have this lovely poetry book that yes. you've recently put out called "In a Time of Distance," and I was wondering if you would indulge us by reading poems from it. Yep, this one is the one which I I, I really enjoyed writing. I wrote it on an aeroplane when I'd been reflecting on the language that people use when talking to their passengers on an aeroplane, in other words, the language of aviation, which is not recognisable English. Uh, so they say things like, we are now... No, no, they don't say now. They say, at this time, we are commencing our descent. Now is too colloquial, too demotic. Uh, at this time, we are commencing our descent. That's the sort of thing you hear on an aeroplane, whereas... What they should say is, we're now going down. Uh, <laughs> although that is subject to misinterpretation. Um, <laughs> and then, they, actually, it's interesting to hear what they say when they're telling passengers to sit down because they're standing up before the planes come to Earth. No. Then they resort to English. They don't say, at this time kindly return to your seat, they say, you, sit down, <laughs> which is what is required. Um, this is called The Language of Pilots. I was on the plane, and I'd listened to all this uh, peculiar uh, English being spoken on the public address system, and I thought, what would it be like if a pilot used poetic English, used really um, descriptive English, uh, rich English, uh, what if the pilot happened to be a poet and he used that sort of language in speaking to his passengers? And this was the poem. They speak with high authority, ailerons and wings responsive to their touch. Their words are functional too. But why, I wonder, should a pilot not be a poet too and say, We now descend at last through banks of cloud, White fields as wide as any ocean, at least when viewed from where we are, at least when viewed from this suspended point. For it is Bernini's principle that lifts and keeps us here between the patient earth below and this empty, 
soaring sky. Ladies and gentlemen, rain falls in distant veils. Look from your windows to the starboard side of this metal tube we call an aircraft. Look out there and see the rain, the grey-white shafts of rain. Do you know that those wisps of cloud you see up above are crystals of ice falling like gossamer? Did you know that? Now please, about your waist to fix the belts you must. <laughs> As slowly towards the earth we drop, to land's embrace, your belts adjust. We are a little late, but what are a few minutes? Nothing more here and there. Not much, I think. Goodbye, and take with you the things you brought, your few possessions. <laughs> Goodbye, until we meet again. And once more, we carry you on wings of steel, on wings of steel to places you would wish to go. Goodbye, dear friends. It matters not whether you're a member of the loyalty scheme we've got. <laughs> we, we love you all as parents love their children equally. Remember that and please come back. Goodbye again, and cabin crew, unbar the doors, let light be seen, secure what needs securing, and cross-check whatever that might mean. <laughs> Goodbye, for soon these great engines on landing will be silenced, as will I. <laughs> Where were we in our conversation? I well, we were, we, were, we were probably in the middle of the enigma of garlic. Oh, yes, yes. Which is, which is where we have the, the poor character of Bruce, who, is, who in some ways synthesizes narcissism for us. Yes, he's very narcissistic. But yeah. things have changed for the poor man. Well, yes. You see, Bruce, uh, who's this echt narcissist, uh, he's a very, very pleased with himself. He can't resist a mirror or a shiny surface. He, just looks at his right, he gets the right angle, and he wears clove-scented hair gel, which I don't know whether that exists, but nonetheless, that's something that I describe Bruce. And Bruce, when I started writing about Bruce, I intended Bruce to be a fairly negative character, and I discovered that a lot of my female readers rather like him. And they, they, they said, well, we quite like Bruce. And they quite liked a scene I wrote, which very, another, again, very respectable scene, in which Bruce had a shower, and they said that this, they, they welcomed uh, this scene. And so, <laughs> for the next, few, <laughs> the next few books, I had a shower scene where Bruce goes off with a shower, and eventually he suffers a very unfortunate shower uh, accident when he slips on a tube of, 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 of hair gel. And uh, <laughs> it was the only serious shower accident in Scotland that year. <laughs> But Bruce, Bruce either attracted this, this, the people who liked him or people who didn't like him. And I did a lunch, a literary lunch in Sydney some years ago, and these two ladies came up to me afterwards at the signing table and said, you've got to sort out that character, Bruce. We want something really unpleasant to happen to him, preferably involving a steamroller. And uh, I said, well, you know, I, I was a bit taken aback, and I, I hadn't planned. But then... <clears throat> I decided that I wanted to have 
one of my characters struck by lightning. And uh, I thought Bruce was the most obvious candidate uh, for this. So I had Bruce walking down Dundas Street in Edinburgh, and suddenly, out of a clear sky, because apparently lightning can strike out of a clear sky, many people feel that they're safe if there aren't any clouds around. You aren't. None of us, none of us, Stephen, is safe from lightning. At any point, we could be struck by, by lightning. And the other thing is that it can travel from 25 miles away. It can travel and, and, and get you. But <laughs> I did some Particularly if you're a narcissist. If you're a narcissist, yes. I did some research on this. I bought a book called Spark, which was all about the effect of electricity on the human body. And there were several chapters on lightning, so I became quite um, expert on the issue of uh, lightning. And uh, I can give you one bit of advice. If you are in danger of being struck by lightning, make sure that you're entirely damp, that you're, you're, you're as wet as possible. Because if you're then struck by lightning, the lightning travels through the water on the edge of the, uh, uh, over the skin and then into the ground. And it doesn't damage the internal organs. Not many people know that. And they don't realize that if, if you're going for a walk, therefore, before you go for a walk, have a shower. Have a shower. <laughs> have a shower and then go outside. And indeed, if you want to be completely safe, if you really want to make sure that you are minimizing your risk of being uh, damaged by lightning, Shower every time before you leave the house uh, with your clothes on. Make, go out soaking wet. Yeah. Many people would say that's You're being... kind of really looking after your readers in both ways. You're looking yes. after the ladies who want him to have a shower yeah. and the ones who want him to get hit yeah, by that's a right. so, Something would work. Anyway, back to Bruce. So he's walking down uh, and suddenly he's struck by lightning and uh, he's not killed, uh, but he, he's, he's taken to, uh, to hospital. And, and he recovers, but he's, he's changed. He's a changed man. He's, uh, he's become very pleasant, and he's still pleasant in the, in, the, in the books. I'm weighing up what to do about that, and I think he's probably likely in the next book that I'm writing at the moment, he's likely to have a fairly substantial uh, electric shock, uh, which will make him revert. Um, <laughs> Because we don't. Because he, he served a purpose as a narcissistic character. Thank you so much, Thank Alexander. You. Thank you. Thank you.